I'm going to miss this. This, is, uh, this has been so much fun. Good morning, VRVC. Uh, you and, who are here in person, you who are here online, welcome uh, to the last sermon in a six-week series on an incredible theme in the Bible, the, this call to the feast, feasting on God's goodness. And, and fittingly for the last sermon of the series, we find ourselves in the last book of the Bible. I invite you to open uh, your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19. And as you uh, turn there, you know, we've had a chance to reflect on so many stories of feasts, haven't we? Uh, we started off this series in Isaiah, where we felt this invitation to come to the feast, uh, to come and to eat and to come and to drink, and it's all provided for us. And then uh, we spent a couple of weeks in the Gospel of Luke, and we heard Jesus tell stories, parables about uh, great feasts and how sometimes we feel like we're too distracted or too lost uh, to find our way home to the feast. And then we talked about our hunger for God's word and this, and, and this uh, pure spiritual milk of God's Truth, And then last week we talked about how Jesus is truly the, the bread of life who satisfies. And it's been so wonderful just to hear you lift up the supremacy and the centrality of Jesus in our, our worship today. Well, today we're going to talk about the ultimate feast. The ultimate feast. The feast that all who've put their trust in Christ already have secure reservations for through heavenly open table app uh, and, and if, if you've yet to put your trust in Christ we want to talk with you but, uh, and love, would love to talk with you but, but today we want to talk about that ultimate feast and we'll read a little bit about it in Revelation chapter 19 verses 6 to 9. Listen as I read. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude. Like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. May God bless the reading of his word. In our grow group a few weeks back, our leader Leslie asked us to think about memorable meals. Uh, I don't know, maybe you had the same question and uh, for me, it was like this massive traffic jam of all these great meals in my life, just kind of all meeting together. And I couldn't, I couldn't think of just one. I thought about fancy dinners I've been a part of uh, at, at, at great restaurants. I thought about rehearsal dinners. I thought about the, the first meal that Jolita Wells fixed me when we were dating, uh, uh, Russian chicken with corn and cream cheese, awesome. Uh, I thought about Jolita's dad, who was just a whiz with the grill and uh, would make us filet mignon. I, I thought more recently about the, the amazing culinary experiences that uh, Jolita and I had in, on our sabbatical in New York City. In fact, one of the things that made it such a great time 
time was how many great meals we had. Uh, you know, sometimes, I may have mentioned this before, sometimes I would have New York bagels twice in one day. It was a part of a low-carb diet that I was on. And, and uh, I still dream about the cannoli we had in Little Italy. Uh, a friend in the church recommended a, a pizza place called Giuliana's in, in the fancy section of Brooklyn, and we ate there twice. It was, that, it was that great. I probably still need to pray for forgiveness, but we went to this place called Jacob's Pickles in Uptown and had French toast biscuits with strawberries on top, and it was amazing. I thought often of my Italian mom. We went to another place. Uh, it was one of Regis Philbin's favorite rest, Italian restaurants, and uh, we had this uh, New York cheesecake, which reminded me so much of the New York cheesecake she would make for me. And you think about all these memories, right? And then you say, well, which one? What's the best? Which one is most memorable? And uh, I don't know if I could answer that question about all the meals I've had in my past. But if you ask me that same question, say, I don't know, uh, 50,000 years from now. I know what my answer will be. There won't be any debate. It will be the feast for the ages that we are invited to in Revelation chapter 19. And so this morning, we're gonna look not so much back on past meals, but we're gonna look forward to this meal. And I'm gonna try to answer one question and I'll answer it insufficiently, but, but this is the question. What will make this our most memorable feast? What will make the wedding supper of the Lamb described in Revelation 19 our most memorable meal? What is it about it that it will surpass all others? Well, to begin to answer that question, I need to tell you just a tiny bit about the, Revelation, about the book of Revelation itself. Uh, if you've read the book, you know that it is a, a book of narrated visions and dreams. It's narrated by someone named John. I believe him to be John the Apostle, uh, the son of Zebedee. And uh, if you've read the book, you know that in much of the book, uh, there's a lot of evil, and evil does its worst. And Christians are persecuted and martyred, and evil leaders blaspheme Christ and his followers. It is a book with so much chaos in it. But as chaotic as things uh, are on this earth, maybe will be on this earth, we, we repeatedly see that Christ is on the throne and that evil will ultimately be overthrown. And as we get to Revelation chapter 19, most of that evil, not all of it, but most of it in Revelation 19 is in the rearview mirror. And what is in front of the church in Revelation 19 is heaven. Now, when I was a kid, I, I didn't voice these out loud, but I had some private questions about heaven. Like, is heaven gonna be as good as grown-ups think it is? Because there were times when preachers made me feel like heaven was going to be a never-ending church worship service. And I just would imagine myself with that little clip-on tie with the metal clip that was right here in my neck the whole time. And these unyielding patent leather shoes and my shirt that had to be tucked in the whole service. And, and, uh, and I thought, well, that's heaven, you know, just a, a service that never comes to an end. And I realize now that I was so wrong. Heaven, yes, is, is, is an experience of incredible worship. Heaven is also a feast, a feast for the ages. What will make it memorable? Well, I think one of the things that will make it memorable that's pointed out in this passage 
is what you might call the sound of joy. The sound of joy. Now, the hospitality industry likes to use the word ambiance. You've heard that word before, right? And when you hear ambiance, you think maybe decor, cleanliness, uh, special coordinated look, uh, fragrance, maybe. Uh, well, when we think about this memorable feast of the lamb that, that awaits us, this wedding supper, one of the things, oddly enough, that's going to characterize it is noise. Does that sound strange to you? Noise? Uh, a noisy ambiance? Isn't that what we so often try to avoid at a restaurant? My, my buddy John and I were in Waco yesterday for uh, Baylor's homecoming game, and uh, we were at this place called Shorty's Pizza, and of course it was really incredibly crowded, and, and uh, it, like every 30 seconds, this guy, with the, the, a, a waiter there with the most amazing vocal cords, would just yell out somebody's name of whoever's pizza that was, and he yelled so loud, it was like, every, and I know I'm old, but uh, it's just like older even than the last time I saw you last week, but, but, uh, but every time he would yell out an, a, a a name, I would just kind of do this, you know, it was just so startling, and yet, and yet, you're telling me the wedding supper of the lamb is going to be filled with, with the sound of noise? Don't we usually want the quiet table in, in the back? But in this instance, the noise is more than appropriate, because the noise is the sound of joy. Listen to the way John describes it uh, in verse 6, and then making its way through verse 7. John says, then I heard what sounded like, and he's going he's to have three comparisons for us here. What sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be John trying to do your best job of playing newspaper reporter and, and describing all these amazing heavenly visions. John describing what it sounds like to hear the joy of heaven. What does it sound like? He says it sounds like a crowd of excited people talking noisily to one another. He says, well, or maybe it sounds like the sound of rushing waters, like, like being just, you know, feet away from the base of Niagara Falls. No, 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 maybe it's even louder than that. Maybe it sounds like, you know, lightning and thunder just coming down right next to you. It's the sound, as you sang a moment ago, of a holy roar of praise. This is a very puny comparison, but maybe you've been watching that sporting event and, uh, and there's something that, that really uh, dramatic happens in the sporting event in front of the home crowd. Let's say a walk-off home run in front of, uh, in front of a, a playoff home crowd in baseball. And the roar of the crowd is so loud that the announcer can't even tell you what just happened. The, the announcer has to wait for what feels like half a minute before they explain what has just happened, what we've just seen. Well, that's what, what comes to mind for me. This deafening applause, this roar of heaven, this roar of praise. I'm wondering, um, do, do, do these words at the end here of, uh, of verse six sound familiar to you? Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Did those words ring a bell for anybody? There's a guy named Handel, and uh, he chose these words as the chorus of his climactic piece in a musical called The Messiah. 
And, and this chorus is famously known as the Hallelujah Chorus. Why is everybody so excited? Well, the answer comes from previous verses that comprise Revelation 18 and 19. And, and just even as I skim the, 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 the headlines of, in my Bible of these uh, two chapters, you see the fall of Babylon uh, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And uh, you see this woe over Babylon's fall and the finality of her doom. She's, she's this great city. And an hour has been brought to ruin, verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 19 says. Um, in, in, in Revelation, Babylon is kind of the stand-in for the city of evil. It's, it's literally called the city of demons. It's the stand-in for the persecutor of the faithful. And now the city of Babylon has been defeated. Thrown into the sea, John says. As one commentator says, Babylon the destroyer is finally herself destroyed. And the church and world are safe forever. So now, John says, is the time to rejoice now is the time to be glad. Now is the time to praise God and give him great glory. That's the sound of joy. We'll never forget what it sounds like when Babylon has fallen to rise no more. I was thinking about this. How many times in your life, whether you said it out loud or not, how many times in your life, in your heart, have you cried out, not again, not again, I mean, can you count it? You learned a family member or friend has cancer. Not again. How many times a couple you know has endured a, a miscarriage, a second miscarriage? Oh, no. Not again. How many times a troubled teen has been suspended from school or arrested? Oh, no. No, not again. How many times in your life that couple that you thought had it all together, you find out they're getting divorced and it's like, oh no, not, not again. How many times has war broken out? How many times has our nation experienced bitter division and it's like, not again. The cry of our hearts is not again. But guess what? At that meal, at that meal, we will know that the cry not again is over. At that meal, all we'll be able to say is never again. <laughs> never again. We're done with cancer. We're done with violence. We're done with evil. We're done with breakups. We're done with war. We're done with heartache. Our Lord will wipe away every tear. And all we'll be able to say is the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, right? Hallelujah, hallelujah. That's what we'll be singing. It'll be amazing, the sound of joy. And you won't hear singing like that either. Somehow uh, it'll all be auto-tuned and it'll be incredible in, in heaven. The sound of joy, second thing that will make that meal the most memorable meal, is the splendor of holiness. The splendor of holiness. I'm borrowing the phrase from the psalmist, Psalm 29, to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. That meal will be characterized by splendor, by 
beauty. I mean, banquets are supposed to be beautiful events, aren't they? And weddings are certainly designed to be a celebration of beauty, a celebration of splendor. And that's what we discover when we jump into the middle of verse 7. This won't just be any wedding, right? This will be the wedding. In fact, look with me at verse 7. It says, for the wedding of the lamb, the wedding of the lamb has come. And I love this. And the bride, his bride, has made herself ready. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful phrase? Repeatedly uh, throughout the Bible, uh, we, we refer, or the, the, the scripture writers refer to the people of God as sort of the, the wife of God or in the New Testament, the bride of Christ. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 25, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Isn't that something? Jesus has gotten down on one knee and proposed to the church and he's given us not just like a wedding ring as a token of his love. He gave himself up for us. His, his sacrifice, his life on the cross. Now, the commentators that I consulted did a wonderful job of pointing out that ancient marriage in a Jewish context, it had two very important steps, some similarities but some key differences with uh, kind of marriage in our cultural context. First of all, there was the, 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 uh, this something similar to our modern engagement period. It was called betrothal, but it was actually much more serious and, and committed than a modern engagement because these two people who were betrothed to one another, uh, that was, it, it was not like we don't break the engagement. Like it, this was just, uh, engagement was like forever was, was the understanding. And, and they even would call one another husband and wife, but they did not live together yet as husband and wife. Sometimes we have just the opposite uh, in a modern engagement. And then secondly, there was the wedding ceremony. At this time, the, the groom and his friends would, would march in procession to the house of the bride. And then he would escort the bride back to his home for the marriage ceremony. And then there would be an elaborate wedding feast that, get this, would last for days in fact, in some of his stories, Jesus told parables about wedding feasts and how important it is for the wedding party to be ready when the bridegroom comes. So how does this impact us as a, as a church? Well, you could say that, that right now we're in phase one. We're in the betrothal phase. Jesus calls us, the church, his bride. We call him our bridegroom. Groom, but he's not yet come to our house, his second coming. He's not yet taken us back to his house forever. The actual wedding has not yet taken place. The actual wedding feast has not yet begun. But one day it will be here. I mean, just think about that. One day the church will say yes to the dress, okay? One day the wedding bells will ring. One day the church, like a bride, as verse 7 says, will make herself ready. In my line of work, I often find myself at weddings. And uh, I don't mean to stereotype, not every wedding goes like this, but a lot of weddings uh, at the rehearsal, uh, the wedding coordinator at the end will stand up and say, okay, men, I think you, you know, groomsmen, groom, I think you guys are going to play golf. You're going to meet tomorrow morning at this particular time uh, to go play golf. Just make sure you're back in time by 5 p.m., showered and ready to go, Right. 
and then it'll be now ladies. Uh, and the, 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 the times start at like 9 a.m. or 10 a.m. And it's all about, especially the bride, it's all about getting ready. The whole day for the bride is devoted to accentuating her beauty. Now, think about the wedding of the lamb. Look at what v- verse 8 says. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. And then, just in case we're, we're not following this book with so many images, uh, John tells us that fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. The holy deeds, the righteous acts of God's people uh, will, will make this dress uh, so resplendent. The church will be outfitted in the splendor of holiness. The church will display the beauty of righteousness. I love the way one commentator I consulted put it. He said, throughout Christian history, every holy attitude and, and good deed prompted by God's grace have been woven into the tapestry of the bride's attire. Think about that. Every kind and loving and gracious, holy word or deed you've ever done woven into the fabric. Isn't that amazing? Every sin and blemish washed away, washed clean. We'll finally realize the cry of our heart to be truly holy before God. You know, so many of the memorable meals I've been a part of had this aspect of, of beauty. The beauty of the people around the table, the beauty of the table, the beauty of the occasion. But nothing shines, nothing gleams like holiness. The splendor of holiness. And even now, in the midst of all of our sin, all of our mistakes, even now God is prepping us for that day. Even now God is calling us to experience his holiness through the power of his Holy Spirit, the truth of his word, to experience his holiness on this earth. The splendor of holiness. I'm going to guess that uh, most of us have experienced meals in our past that sounded joyful, that exemplified beauty. None to this degree, of course, but, but we know a little bit of that. But the one thing about the ultimate feast that we'll experience is that it will be uh, characterized by the satisfaction of forever. The satisfaction of eternity. I'm going to guess that you've been invited to many fancy meals in your life, maybe many different wedding suppers, but, but there will be a sense of ultimate finality about this supper. Verse 9 says it this way. Then the angel said to me, write this. <laughs> Make sure, uh, John, that you write this down. Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. It's like, it's like the angel said, underline it, you know, 25 times. These are the true words of God. This meal will not be one in a series, right? This is the wedding supper. This is the meal that truly satisfies us for eternity. You ever left a table hungry? I have. I remember a meal I ate on a mission trip one time or sort of ate. Uh, the, the people who served it were as kind and gracious as they could be. Uh, and, and there was, I know, great sacrifice in, in preparing it and serving it. But I was not exactly sure of the meat that was being served. And um, 
And you know, your mind plays tricks on you. And I just, I just started saying, well, what if this meat has a canine origin? I'm sure it didn't, but, but my mind was playing tricks. And, uh, and, and then it's like uh, game over. And so I, I did my best to eat the vegetables and, and then I would cut the meat and I'd move it around and then, you know, things like that. And then like really quickly, I put uh, my napkin kind of over the whole thing like, oh, and, uh, and, and I left the table so unsatisfied. Ask John Hewlett because he was at the same table uh, and did exactly the same thing as I did. Um, to be honest, you know, there are times when I've left uh, this kind of the table of life full but not satisfied. Full but not satisfied. I've eaten so much of what I thought would satisfy me, but it didn't. It brought me emptiness. It brought me regret. We grow up our, all our lives hearing that money can't buy you happiness, but we think we're going to be the first ones to prove them wrong, you know? <laughs> How many times have we pushed back up from a worldly table full, but totally unsatisfied? Money did not satisfy. Popularity did not satisfy. Achievement did not satisfy. High test scores did not satisfy. Ambition did not satisfy. Trophies did not satisfy. Adrenaline did not satisfy. Sex did not satisfy. Promotions did not satisfy. Bass boats did not satisfy. But friends, when we're invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb, we will finally realize what we've truly been hungry for our whole lives. The bread of life, living water, the cup of redemption, the, the pure milk of eternal truth. The author of Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in our hearts. We have an eternal longing that the things of this world will never satisfy. In our heart of hearts, everybody is wired for eternity. And no show of hands on this, but did, did anybody ever sign a card to an adolescent crush with the initials T-L-A, true love always. Anybody beside me? Am I the only one that ever did that? <laughs> or maybe like carve that into an oak tree or something? True love always, he wrote to a 13-year-old girl, right? Uh, but there's something about that, right? We are wired for eternity. But the things we write in a Valentine's card, the things that we, we carve into an oak tree are so easily overturned by time. But not this feast. At the wedding feast of the Lamb, we will ultimately experience T-L-A, true love always, forever and ever, amen. So how do we conclude a sermon like this? How do we conclude a sermon ser series like this? Maybe somebody's thinking quickly, I hope. I hope we conclude it quickly. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Uh, I think we need to remember this ultimate meal as we endure the challenges and days and difficult seasons of our lives. I think we need this joy to pull us forward. We, we need a vision of holiness to inspire us to daily repentance and longing for more and more of God and more and more obedience fueled by the Holy Spirit, 
holy words and deeds. We need to turn away from earthly sources of dissatisfaction. And we need to turn toward God's ultimate nourishment. We need to keep our eyes on the goal, our eyes on the prize. We need to keep, as Colossians 3, 1 says, we need to set our minds above, we need to set our hearts above, our eyes lifted above. I I heard the story of a, a woman named Florence Chadwick. I don't know if that name is familiar. In 1950, she swam the English Channel in record time. And the next year, she swam in the the other direction. This was in 1950. In 1952, she attempted to swim 26 miles from Catalina Island to California. And she'd been swimming for 15 hours. And a thick fog set in. And she began to doubt her ability. And she just didn't think she could make it. And she had people that were kind of her team that were in a boat uh, beside her. And uh, she finally said, I I can't do this anymore. And she got in the boat. And when she got in the boat, guess what? She learned that she was a half a mile from shore. She had already been swimming 25.5 miles. She had 0.5 miles to go, but she got in the boat. At the news conference, she said, all I could see was the fog. I think, she said, if I could have seen the shore, I would have made it. Two months later, she tried again. Thick fog sets in, but she keeps swimming, 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 and reaches the goal. As Christians, we need to remember that goal and keep swimming, swimming, swimming through the fog. I wonder what fog you're experiencing today. I wonder what's cloudy today. I wonder what is obscuring your vision today. And how can your hope and your ultimate destiny keep you going? How can we as Christ's bride make ourselves ready? What holy deeds and words is he calling us to this week? If your next week was a fabric, what, what holy words and deeds could you be weaving into it next week? Living in light of the wedding feast of the Lamb. This is living with joy. Okay, I promise. Last thing. Last thing. In conclusion, I think what we need to discover and maybe rediscover, is something that I want to call last stanza living. Some of you old timers know instantly what I mean. Last stanza living. Growing up, so many of the hymns that we sang at church, they shifted when we got to that final stanza. The first stanzas would be about serving God through the toils and snares of this life. They were about honoring and praising God in this world of tears and and persevering through the fog and the challenges we face. But in between that next stanza, say stanza three, and that final stanza, something would change. Like in my church growing up, I mean literally something different would happen. That organist you thought was kind of sleeping through the hymn would kind of kick it up a notch, you know, and, and uh, there would be a, a key change or I don't even know what it's called uh, but, but there would be you know some kind of little musical interlude and then we would get to that last stanza and it's like all of us were kind of on the balls of our feet and it was you know when we've been there 10,000 years right shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began and it was like that last stanza pulled us forward You and I live in maybe stanza one or stanza two or some of us stanza three or maybe stanza four. But in our hearts, in our our hope, we sing the final stanza. 
One day, hope will become sight. One day, dreams will come true. One day, we will sing the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. One day, we will feast at the wedding supper of the Lamb. So I want to ask you to do me a, a favor, if you would. And that is just to, just if, you, if you would, just to close your eyes and maybe just think through some of the things that stood out at you from this, from this passage. The sound of joy. And here you are, a follower of Christ, imagining that sound of joy. The beauty of holiness. The feeling of eternal satisfaction. Would you just focus on that for a moment as we listen to this song?